We are in Ezekiel. We are in Ezekiel 38, and this is the Gog-Magog War, the one that everybody's been waiting for. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togramah from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. So this is of the same format, if you will, of the curses or imprecations that are delivered against other people. He talks to Egypt and several other folks. In the sequence of things, last week we just finished the regathering of Israel in the New Covenant. So the Gog-Magog War happens after Israel is regathered, both Israel and Judah. Not just Judah as we have now. So when they're regathered, God will cleanse them and put his spirit on them and David will be their king and they will live in the land and God will be their God and they will be his people and they will prosper. To me, as we read this, this sounds very much like the millennial reign. It isn't real clear just exactly where during the millennial reign it happens. This may be fairly early on in the millennial reign for purposes of having God show who he actually is. And everything flows in sequence. You have the regathering, you have the writing of the Torah on their heart, and then you have living in peace under David. As we said last time, there are divergent opinions as whether this is literally David or whether it's Yeshua. The way the text reads is it's literally a resurrected David. Because just before this, we had the Valley of the Dry Bones. Everybody got resurrected and pulled out of their graves and reconstituted. And so there is no reason to believe whatsoever that that is not literal David that's there. There are other perspectives that say that it's David's greater son, Yeshua. I can't say it's not, but I don't see any reason not to take the scripture literally here. The point is, Israel is living in peace. They're living in the land. And they are under David, either David, David, or David's son, David. And the people of the north, not entirely the north, from all sides, come after them. And the way this reads is God is the one who is going to start this war. So these are the 70 nations, if you will, that descend from Noah and spread out. Gomer is a descendant of Japheth. Heth is a descendant of Ham, Lud is a descendant of Shem. And the point I wanted to make is these peoples, if you will, are shown as the first couple of generations after Noah. And one of the things that God does when he, when he does prophecy is he doesn't say, this is a prophecy about Great Britain, or this is a prophecy about Germany, or this is a prophecy about South Africa because those countries had not existed. So what he does is he gives prophecies based on that original dispersion. And the tribes that he's talking about really refer to territory. So this is Gomer, for example, up here on the Black Sea. 
So when he's talking about Gomer, well, that's not known as Gomer anymore. That's Kurdistan. The nations that go into these places change. They changed after World War I. They change all the time. So what he does is he goes back to something in the past, and that's the basis of that, and he's talking about whoever happens to live in that area then. That's Bullinger's opinion. Same way that all prophecy is given in 360-day years, because the calendar was always 360 days until Hezekiah. Remember when Hezekiah got grumpy with God and God stopped the sundown? Well, that was about 701 B.C., and all of the calendars worldwide changed. And the years went from 360 days to 365 days. So when you're doing prophetic time crunching, you do it based on 360 days because that was the original thing that God set up. And what I'm suggesting to you is that these areas that you're going to see named refer to whatever modern nations happen to be in that particular area. Now, that could be wrong. Because just as God has kept track of Israel, it is entirely possible that he's kept track of the descendants of Gomer. Meshach is one of them that's listed. Lud, Gomer, Togermah, Put is listed. This is actually Libya. So Gog is the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. You'll notice that God does something interesting here. So you have chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, which are in Turkey. And I will turn you and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out. So he's doing it. But he's saying also Persia, Cush, and Put are with them. So Persia is contemporary with Ezekiel, and it exists at that time. But the only way we can locate places like Meshach and Tubal and so forth, Magog, Gomer, is through this old map of the dispersion. And, and I'm not sure how reliable that is. So if you look at these areas, they are all Muslim nations that are spread out around Israel. And one of the things that all of the Muslim nations, I mean, they don't agree on anything else, but the thing that they do agree on is that Israel has to go. That's the only thing that you can get those people to agree on, and they don't even agree on timing and where, they just agree that Israel has to go. So the idea that these countries around here would form an alliance with the intention of coming after Israel is certainly very reasonable. And the players are in place to have that happen now. Turkey is a major player, and it's a member of NATO, a major ally of ours, and right now a major ally of Israel. In modern-day terms, Turkey was made a secular nation by Ataturk. I think it's around the turn of the 20th century. He westernized Turkey. You remember the old, old, old movies where you had all the Arabs with the pillbox hats with a little tassel? You, know, you see Shriners running around him all the time. He outlawed those because they were not western. And so what he did is he westernized <coughs> Turkey. And Turkey is a democracy, sort of. They're a democracy in which the army has the right of veto, It is the way to describe it. And as long as the democracy doesn't get too far out of bounds, everything's fine. For example, they just recently had a situation where the uh, army voided an election. 
because Islamists won the election and the army avoided the election. Says, nope, we're not going to do that. Go back and try again. The army is thoroughly secular. They're nominally Muslim, but they're not psychotic, as opposed to the Islamists who are full-blown psychotic. And the army is also very Western. There are lots and lots of ties between the army and NATO. My dad, for example, when he was in the Air Force, was stationed in Naples, and he spent a whole lot of time in Turkey working with the Turkish Air Force. Lots and lots of ties there. And as I say, they are friendly to Israel right now, but they're also a Muslim nation. So that could all change, and they have one of the best armies in the region. They're very good. So it is not at all far-fetched to see that you have all the players in place for this war right now. All right, let's, let's continue reading. Seven, be ready and, and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and your hordes and many peoples with you. Contrary to the earlier opinion that was expressed that, that this may be early in the millennial reign, it says, after many days you will be mustered. I don't know what that means. Obviously, it doesn't give a precise time. But clearly, Israel has been in place in the land for some period of time when this happens as I say, under the reign of either David or Yeshua, depending on how you read that. Verse 10, it says the Lord God, On that day thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. So, who dwell at the center of the earth. That's Israel. Israel is the center of the earth, from God's perspective. So what this is talking about is Israel. You will find that there are prophecy teachers that need to sell a book, that will try and convince you that this is the United States, coming against a land with unwalled cities, I mean, the United States is basically a land with unwalled cities. So people will try and convince you that this is coming against the United States. I don't buy it. It goes against the plain sense of Scripture. Verse 13. Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? The way I read this is you've got these Muslim psychotics all around, and you've got people farther away, and these are merchant people. And the way I read this, what they are trying to do is talk some sense into Gog. This is not rah, 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 go get them, I don't think. This is the United Nations or somebody trying to rein this in, more of the peace process, if you will. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, 
Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the later days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So who's starting this war? God. And this goes back to the discussions we've had in Midrash about Pharaoh. The question becomes, does Gog or Pharaoh have a choice? Does he have free will? And the answer is yes, he does, because what's going on here, at least in the case of Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God hardened it. So what God did at the end of the time when Pharaoh was ready to give up, about six plagues into it, God sort of propped Pharaoh back up and said, no, we're not done yet. You you need to stand there and have courage of your convictions. We're not finished. And I'm reading this the same way. What you've got is you've got somebody, and I'm assuming it's Muslims just because that's who we're seeing today. It doesn't have to be. Who's foaming at the mouth about Israel. And God says, oh, okay. You want to do this? Come on, let's go. He's got a pattern, and this will fall according to the pattern. 17. Then says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servant the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be aroused in my anger. For in my jealousy... And in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Interesting. I don't have any idea what that is, but I've got a guess. Splitting of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will be split. That's in Revelation. And my guess, and everybody understand this is just a guess, is that that's what we're talking about here. If that's true, then at least according to the Revelation, that would be when Yeshua shows up. But again, I I could be very wrong on the timing. And I'm I'm not saying thus saith anybody except maybe I think. Uh, 2020. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountain shall be thrown down, and the cliffs shall fall, and every wall shall tumble to the ground. We have the presence of God. So this feels very much like Yeshua on the Mount of Olives. 21. I will summon a sword against Gog. On all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Again, this sounds awfully like Revelation stuff. Also, we have a pattern here, which is when Joshua retakes the land. Remember when you have the king of Jerusalem and all the kings of the south that come up? against Gibeah, and Joshua comes up from the Jordan Valley, and they have a battle, and the kings flee before them, and God starts dropping meteors on them. 
rocks from the heaven and more people get killed with stuff coming down from the heaven than are killed by the army of Israel? Sounds like the same thing. 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. This feels very much like Pharaoh toward the end of the plagues when he would just as soon call this off and God says, No, we're not done yet. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you two birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is awfully reminiscent of some of the stuff that happens in Revelation. Verse 7. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people, Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears. They will make fires of them for seven years so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any out of the forest, for they will make fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. Interesting theory on this not original with me, I think I first heard it from Chuck Missler, is that what's being talked about here is uh, plutonium. In other words, the, the Arabs are going to fire their missiles and what they're going to do is make a present of some fissionable material to Israel because the missiles are not going to go off. And what they'll do is they'll burn it in the reactors for seven years. That's obviously speculation. Do with that as you like. But unless something changes, the idea of them coming against Israel with literal spears, bows, and arrows is fairly far-fetched. So I'm assuming, and so is this commentator, that we're talking about modern warfare. The speculation gets strengthened. I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel. The valley of travelers east of the sea, I will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. All right, so where this is, is basically east of the Dead Sea, east of the Jordan River. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. So it's going to take longer than just two or three days to get everybody picked up. All the peoples of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. So what's happening here is that the Israelis will go through the land cleaning up the debris of this war, and they will get so good at it that they will become famous for it. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. So you've got specialists who are going through the land doing that. At the end of seven months, they will make their search. When these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall put up a sign by it. 
till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hemangog. So what I'm suggesting to you is that these are contaminated corpses, either from chemical weapons or from radiation. So what you have is you have specialists that are going throughout the land, and anybody that sees part of a corpse is not to mess with it, he's to mark it. You know, put a, put a marker on it so that the specialist can then come through and handle it properly, which is, again, why I'm suggesting that the burial place is downwind, okay, because these are contaminated corpses. And they will get so good at it, as I say, specialists, that they will be world-renowned and just like, you know, Israel has disaster relief teams that go all over the world, they will also have cleanup after modern warfare teams that go all over the world. And if you take this and then go back up to the burning of the spears and all that kind of stuff, that indicates that you're dealing with modern warfare. You're not dealing with literal spears and arrows and bows and shields. Now, 16. Hamanah is the name of the city, thus they shall cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all beasts of the field, assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of he-goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan, and you shall eat till you are filled and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers and with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. So the specialists are going to have some help cleaning up. 21. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions, and I hid my face from them. He's talking about the restoration and the whole thrust of these last five or six chapters has been that Israel is going to be brought back to the land not because of any virtue on Israel's part but because God said he would and God says that your guys are going to glorify me and it would be better if you glorified me by obedience and I could prosper you but you're going to glorify me anyway so this is all part of glorifying me and at the end of this process, everybody will know that Israel didn't beat you. I did. And that I put Israel back where they are, not because they were better than anybody else, because they're not, but because they are my chosen people, and I promised. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery that they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. Okay, when he brings them back, he says, you're going to come back, but you're going to be ashamed. You're going to live in shame because you're going to know why you got scattered, and everybody's going to know why you got scattered, 
and yeah, I'm going to bring you back, and yeah, I'm going to prosper you, and yeah, I'm going to take care of you, and all that kind of stuff, but you're going to live in shame because of what you've done. All right, so now at the end of this process, what he's saying is they shall forget their shame. So this shame that they're living under is not forever. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Not to put too fine a point on it, this is all of Israel. This is not just Judah. There are going to be people out there that don't have any idea that they are in fact Hebrews. Hebrews.